Welcome to A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, a podcast about geek culture by lawyers with your hosts, Ben Siders and Kurt Damon. And welcome back to Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, the podcast that asks interesting questions that don't have any answers with your host, Ben Siders, that's me. And the other guy is, as always, Kirk Damon. That's Kirk, as in the Captain of the Enterprise. We are intellectual property lawyers and certified geeks practicing law in St. Louis, Missouri. You can find me, Ben, on Twitter at Benjamin Siders, and you can find Kirk at KirkDMN. Uh, you can find this podcast's Twitter feed and other social media accounts, I think, on our website, lggpodcast.com. All right, it is officially time for the Star Wars Holiday <laughs> Special. Star Wars Holiday Special. <laughs> we've, we've tried to make an effort this year to reduce the amount of Star Wars content that creeps into the rest of our episodes <laughs> and, and focus all of our energy here, uh, sort of like a, a, like, a, like, a, like, a, like a battle station, for example, that focuses laser beams and then has enormous destructive power. So we'll see where this goes. We're, we can make all sorts of Star Wars puns we'll be avoiding for a little while. So uh, last year, at this time of the year, uh, Disney had just announced uh, a plethora of Star Wars content. Um, we'll, uh, I'll, I'll insert here um, what we said about that last year. We're going to talk about two things. Mostly we're going to focus on the Star Wars Visions uh, series of uh, anime shorts uh, for a couple of reasons. One, it's something out there that's new. Uh, two, neither Kirk and I have talked to each other about it at all yet, so this is all all fresh. And, and we have both seen it, too. Yeah, yeah, we've both seen it. Um, and then also, uh, we haven't really talked about anime too terribly much, and I know we have a lot of listeners who are really into that. So yeah. it seemed like a good time for us to kind of uh, dip our toe in that water. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I think Vision's really interesting. I'll start the thing with it, which is so interesting. So I, I have a, a middle school daughter who's actually gotten seriously into anime and actually even more seriously into manga. She would rather read it than uh, than watch it, but she's gotten kind of seriously into anime. We started just watching a little bit of anime. Um, but we also watched the original Godzilla because she didn't believe me when I said they were rubber monsters. <laughs> and uh, she thought that was awesome. <laughs> she really liked the original Godzilla. But the um, one of the things with it is she doesn't particularly care for Star Wars. She finds that Star Wars, she doesn't like the lightsaber battles. She finds them a bit violent for her taste, basically. She doesn't mind the blaster battles, but she doesn't like the lightsabers. They just sort of bother her. Um, she loved Visions, absolutely loved Visions as a way to portray it, because I think she sort of accepts the, the anime being that slightly more fantastical appearance. Mm -hmm. And so even what you see, and in some sense it can be kind of graphic, you know, because anime can be, is very stylized and stuff like that, and she was. It's okay handled with it. very well in these. These are also very violent, and yeah. one of my, one of my general remarks about all of these visions episodes. Let's start. Let's let's back up a little bit. If you don't know what I'm talking about, um, they did nine. I think they originally said ten, but only nine. I think were released. Um, shorts. They're between fifteen and twenty minutes long. Would you say it's about right? Yeah, it um, depends a little bit on which one it is. Some are a little shorter. Some are definitely a little bit longer. Uh, by uh, nine different, I don't know if they're studios, but they're combinations of writers and directors. Uh, and I, I get the impression they're kind of given free reign to tell basically any story they want. Yeah, I mean, this, the stories are, are definitely set in Star Wars universe. They're very associated with Star Wars universe. But they're also, they, they really have no connection, I don't think. For I don't think there's any characters stories, yeah. like that we've seen before in it. Just a lot of uh, recycled sound effects, music, things you've seen before. It definitely feels like Star Wars, but uh, n nobody I recognize. So I think what we're going to do... Kirk and I are going to give you, if you haven't seen these, we're going to get into some spoilers. So yeah. uh, just if you haven't and seen And a couple these, of these do a pretty major spoiler. Yeah, so they really do. You really want to watch them. Uh, so we're gonna just going to go over uh, each one and give it maybe a couple minutes to talk about our general thoughts about it. And then at the end, we're going to rank them because what fun is a podcast if you can't rank things? <laughs> and then we're going to wrap up with uh, sort of our, our uh, discussion of The Bad Batch Season 1, which I have now seen. Uh, we'll do that at, at the end and then maybe talk a little bit about what's coming up next year. So... Let's right. dive in. Uh, the first uh, Visions episode is called The Duel. 
Yep. Written by Takashi Okazi and directed by Takanobu Mizuno. I don't know who any of these folks are. Um, I assume that if you're into anime, you probably recognize a lot of these names. Yeah, and that's. I also say the thing is, it's. I'm unfortunate that I just do not know anime directors or writers or anything along those lines. I, I recognize certain styles, like some of these definitely yeah. look like things I'd seen. Agreed. But I'm just. Uh, I've never been. I've never been into directors, actors, or anything along those lines. I'm much more into plots and characters. Yeah. Um, so it's. To me, right, we don't necessarily know who they are in conjunction with these. You know, we may very well be butchering somebody's name. We may very oh, we well probably be, are. I, I do not speak any <laughs> Japanese, not a lick. If it was Spanish, yeah. I'd have a chance, but and we but may I very don't. well, you know, not be kind to somebody who's you know completely visionary and we don't realize it. Yes. Uh, but you so know, this is this is our ignorance <laughs> yes. speaking. That's all. So but we're just trying to uh, get these names out there for those of you who uh, are familiar with anime. You may know some of these folks. I did. So Okazaki, I've heard of at least. I think yeah, he's he was more one known of the few for. I had heard of. Yeah, I think he's more known for for like art, manga, uh, that kind of stuff so i think a lot of the artists that do uh you know manga are also involved with this so um, i'm going to read for you the synopsis from wikipedia to give you an idea of the plot and then kirk and i will discuss what we thought so the duel set in an alternate history 20 years after a war between the feudal jedi empire and a renegade and renegade jedi sect known as the sith a lone wanderer known only as the ronin witnesses a legion of former stormtroopers attempt to besiege a small village the ronin fights the leader of the bandits a self-declared dark lord of the sith Armed with a heavily modified lightsaber, we'll get to that in a second, while his droid saves the villagers. The Ronin, a former actual Sith, lures the bandit leader into a trap and kills her. The Ronin is later shown to be collecting red kyber crystals from each Sith he has killed, and then gives the leader's crystal to the villagers, saying it can ward off evil. All right. Kirk, uh, I loved this one. So did I. I thought this was fantastic. <laughs> I thought this was one of the best ones on the thing, and I love the fact that it was first, too. Yes. Because it's... A complete alternate universe, um, Star Wars, in many respects, although it's a very recognizable Star Wars. It has a very samurai feel to it, like the village yeah. does. Even the droid has, like, a little straw hat. Like yeah. <laughs> the thing that I really liked about this one, also, quite frankly, it felt very Japanese. It did. Like, the, the, <laughs> like the lightsabers, like, looked like a katana, like yeah. a scimitar. It had, like, a thin, narrow blade. It wasn't round. Um, and that's one thing I noticed through a lot of these is there was a lot more variety in the way the lightsabers were constructed and the way that they looked. Yeah. I think some even had like angled blades. So um, I, 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 it makes sense to me if you think about it because Star Wars borrows a lot from Kurosawa films. So we've kind of come full circle where uh, you know, the plot of, of Episode Four is influenced by uh, The Hidden Fortress. I've never seen it. I just have read that. And based on the plot synopsis of Hidden Fortress <laughs> on Wikipedia, I think it's true. Yeah. Um, Hidden Fortress is, is, I think, famous for telling the story through the viewpoint of two minor characters. Yeah. Uh, two, two beggars in that film. Two droids in Star Wars. Two droids in Star Wars. So I think that's where Lucas got that idea. But, uh, you know, the, the, the Jedi, sort of with their, uh, with their mythos and the, 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 you know, the swords, uh, all kind of fit that Japanese stereotype. Uh, and that, um, that all just fits in here wonderfully. It just works so well. Yeah. The other thing I really have to say I really liked about the duel is... It is not clear who is good, who is evil, or what anybody is. <laughs> no, no, it definitely is not. Um, the uh, and the animation style is really interesting. The the white sabers are colored. Oh, yeah, everything else is, I think, black and white. It's kind of that like that that I don't know, like tan color that yeah. you associate a lot with them. Um, and a lot of the animation is 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 deep shadowing that just moves around on the characters' faces to convey motion. Yeah. Um, it's it's really interesting stylistically. Probably the most unique of all of these, I would say. Also, quite frankly, one of the coolest to watch. Yeah. Because it just... As opposed to some of the other ones, this one is beautiful. It is, and it's interesting because the color palette is extremely drab. Yeah, but it's 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 fascinating to watch it. I've I've gone back and watched it twice more. I liked it that much. Uh, one of the things I really thought was interesting about it is um, 
the way that they use the force in this is a lot more subtle. Uh, it's there, yeah. but like one of my favorite scenes was they're fighting on a log and it's kind of going towards the edge of this waterfall and gets stuck. And then one of the characters gets knocked off. Uh, another character uses the force to pull the log, but not to like throw it at somebody, but just to move it to split the water so that you can see behind the waterfall. Yeah. Like, that's a nice subtle thing where you don't need to have everything be big and huge and just like, oh, look what we can do with the force. Just a little subtle plot, plot point uh, to be able to see something. So... This one I thought was was just fascinating. Uh, at the very end, when he kind of pulls his cape open or his his robe open, he's got that that string of red Kuiper crystals, and you're like, oh yeah. my gosh, he's been hunting down and killing Sith, and he's got a red blade, so he's a Sith himself. He has himself. a red blade too, and that's part of the thing with it. It's it does a sort of great job of that, showing you the um, the nature of the, the 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 color of the lightsabers matter mattering. Maybe yeah. the best way to put it. Um, which is one of those things that I think has become much more important mm-hmm. um, in conjunction with and the, and the style of the lightsabers, the lightsabers being personal. One of the things I happen to be watching Rebels right now, and one of the things in the Rebels that, that was great is there's a scene in it, and it's an offhand scene when they encounter an old Jedi battlefield, and there's like old abandoned lightsabers on it that are you know ancient relics, and they pick one up, and it's a green blade mm-hmm. with crossbeams that looks exactly like Kylo Ren's. <laughs> and it was one of those things where it's like, okay, that was actually just kind of a cool touch. Yeah. Um, you know, to have that idea is, you know, okay, like, these are all personal and they're all different shapes. Again, you get, like, the, the evil, uh, you know, the Jedi Sith Lord in uh, in conjunction with the duel has got a very odd lightsaber. Yes. You know, it's, it's, it's a strange weapon in many respects because it's She's got kind of like an blades. umbrella and then it's got a bunch of lightsaber. Like, her lightsaber plugs yeah. into the bottom of it, but then the blades, like, turn sideways and come out the sides of the umbrella and she, like, twirls it and uses it. Uh, it's it's kind of weird, but the it's done so well in the story that it's not it doesn't make you laugh like a a, a less skilled um, um, production of this kind of story that might look silly and just kind of jarring, but it, it really kind of works pretty well here. So yeah, it really is kind of interesting the way it works and how well it works um, because it's again it's a very odd weapon and it just even the way she uses it yeah. is kind of an odd weapon. Yeah, um, but it fits because. It, you recognize it's very deadly. You know, it is, you know, it, it's sort of dangerous for everybody because it's, you know, it's got so many blades and they're everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminds me a little bit of the Inquisitors again in Rebels where they have the twin blades and like mm-hmm. they can use them to fly and sort of stuff like that. But it's one of those things where it's, in this one, I think it almost works better than there mm-hmm. because it's, it really gets you this cross that this is a, a very evil person. Like yeah. that's the thing with it. Another thing I loved is the the main character, the Ronin, uh, the way he's presented is a character of of complete self-possession and confidence. He's kind of sitting here uh, (laughs) drinking tea. Um, His droid gets broken somehow, and this whole conflict starts up. He just kind of wanders into it. It's got kind of an Old West feel almost, almost like a spaghetti Western a little bit. Yeah. uh, With with the confrontation in the street. But I love before that, he turns to a, there's like a a solist in there and says, uh, hey, uh, I need you to fix this droid before this tea boils and puts a tea kettle on. (laughs) And so you as the audience know that like he knows something that's going to happen. And of course, that, that all... He fixes the droid, and the droid saves the day, and it's it's all just really well done. Yeah, it's um, very. It does have a definite feel of American gunslinger movies. A little bit, yeah. Kind of that 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 extreme confidence. He does really yep. have that extreme confidence, which is also kind of fun because like you know he's going to save the day, and then suddenly you see the red blade lightsaber, and you're like, hold on a second. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they, they caught me on the hop there too. Uh, so one final note on this one because we can't spend too much time on any of these because there's nine of them. Uh, Lucy Liu is one of the yeah. voice actors for the English version, which I did not pick up on when I, was, I watched. I always liked her as an actress. Actually, yeah. <laughs> she's a, she's an action actress that doesn't get used enough. 
Well, then one thing we'll notice throughout these, most of these make uh, a concerted effort to use as many uh, voice actors, even for the English versions, uh, of some kind of Asian heritage, which is a, a nice touch. So uh, Lucy Liu is in this one. Okay, episode number two is called Tatooine Rhapsody, written by Yasumi Atarashi, directed by Taku Kimura. And here is the synopsis. During the Clone Wars, a Jedi Padawan named Jay attempts to escape from the war only to stumble upon a hut named Gi. Gi offers to take... Or maybe Jay... G? G? I remember how it's pronounced. Maybe it was G. G offers to take Jay in if he becomes the lead singer of G's rock band. Star Waver, and Jay accepts. Years later, during the reign of the Galactic Empire, the members are hunted down by Boba Fett. Uh, Fett eventually captures G and reveals that G's relative, Jabba, wants to execute him because he's not part of the crime syndicate. Jay inspires the other members to go to Tatooine and save G. They convince Jabba to let them play one more song before G's execution. The song is loved, and Jabba spares G and becomes the band's first sponsor. Uh, voice acting notes, English voice work by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Bobby um, uh, Moynihan from SNL Monsters U and other animation, and none other than Django Fett himself, Tamura Morrison. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of an interesting... Uh, <laughs> Which I didn't realize he was in this. So. Yeah, uh, I have to catch that one as it went through. But, so yeah. the first thought, thought on this one, um, as far as the story went, I... Despite me being a musician, I hated this. <laughs> okay. I actually liked the story in this one because it amused me. And the reason it amused me as to what it was is this is very not epic Star Wars. No, it's it's really strange. <laughs> so me, me and my daughter, like Kirk, my daughter, who's the same age as Kirk's daughter, is really into anime right now. And so I asked her if she wanted to watch these with me. So she sat down to watch this one, and the minute it started, I mean, she could just... I could tell by the animation style, I wasn't going to love it. It was just a bit too silly for me, and uh, I just did not like the songs. It was very music-heavy. Um, so this one, the juxtaposition between the subject matter, the presentation, and the setting really jumped out at me, and I just couldn't get past that. So um, I didn't I didn't care for really any, any part of it. Um, I did like that this is really the only one of these... That is not basically ultimately about Jedi somehow. Although this is a Padawan uh, character, he just he doesn't do anything Jedi like. He's just a lead singer of this band. Yeah. So I love the idea of exploring that because music and bands did have a role in Star Wars, especially episodes four and six. Um, but I don't know something about the animation style. Maybe I just uh, this one just did not did not resonate with me at all. So it's interesting because to me, I, I actually really like the animation style in this one. It's probably one of my favorites. Um, from it, though, it's I, I would say arguably it's a little more American as, an, as yeah. animation style comes in. This was the more traditional big doe-eyed character thing, whereas the first one felt a little more um, realistic. Yeah, now I actually like the music <clears throat> piece of it. My t- and, and again, just as you know, my own personal sort of things in conjunction with it. My favorite Japanese anime probably always has been and always will be Macross. Uh, Robotech, for those of you who are used to the American version of it, but mm-hmm. Robotech really doesn't share the same plot as Macross. Uh, and one of the key elements in it is, is music as a weapon. Mm-hmm. Is one of the key elements of Macross. And I really felt like this was exploring that same kind of concept. Um, what I liked about this one was it was hopeless from the start. Mm-hmm. Um, very early on in that you realize this is hopeless. Like, this is not going to end well uh, for these characters. And, and But they want to sort of make the best of it they can. It was a very association of a dark universe, um, a sort of dark, uncaring universe. It's the only one that also really reuses any existing characters, uh, yeah. Jabba and Boba Fett. Neither one, I mean, they're both kind of minor characters, ultimately, although Boba Fett's getting his own thing now, but <laughs> in the original trilogy, Boba Fett was kind of a big nothing. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, but again, what, what I liked about this one was the fact that, to me, this felt very different. It did kind of have a much a little more of an anime feel than some of the other ones did. Yeah. And I did really like that. I also liked the characters in this one. I thought the characters in this one were a little more interesting than some of the other ones were given a little bit more 
depth than some of the other ones, especially for something that was this short. It was very he short. He is yeah. a very sympathetic character. Yeah. You really kind of feel for what it is. You feel for Jay too, because he's he's kind of a failed Padawan. And it's yeah. That was what I kind of got in this is the idea of it's all these people were in some sense failures and they, they came together, they found this thing and they did so because of essentially unexpected, un, you know, unavoidable loss. And that kind of worked. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was sort of my take of it is it's, you know, I, I, I kind of like this one in some respects. Now, one thing that also I think this is the one uh, and I, there's a lot of these. So I'm, I'm going from memory here. But I think this is the one where the um, the animation of the spaceships uh, was looked like it was done in like 3D modeling animation, but the actual anime por- portions were all looked like conventional two dimensional drawings. Yeah. Uh, I thought the transitions between those two styles was also pretty jarring. Um, okay. It reminded me a little bit if you ever seen the the utterly botched attempt to make uh, Dragonlance into a movie. Um, <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't seen that, just go watch. <laughs> just go Google it. It's it's and you know don't. It's not worth your time. But um, <laughs> it's like watching the Star Wars Holiday Special. Oh, it's, it's, it's a train it's wreck. <laughs> so so bad. It's such a great cast and such a terribly botched bit of animation. Uh, but it had a little bit of that aspect to it. So so this is interesting. Kirk and I uh, disagree pretty significantly on this yeah. one. All right, number three is called The Twins, directed by Hiroyuki Amaishi and written by Hiromi Wakabayashi. Uh, synopsis. In the aftermath of the Empire's defeat, the remnants of the Imperial military begin the construction of two conjoined Star Destroyers that house a large super laser capable of destroying planets. Wait, a large super laser capable of destroying planets? They never build things no. like that. Why would they do that? Using Sith alchemy, which I wish they talked about more, they're able to create two Force-sensitive biological twins named Kare and Am, who they then train in the dark side of the Force. The twins eventually become the leaders of the Remnant and plan to use their super weapon to destroy the New Republic, but Kare goes rogue on the day the weapon is supposed to be fired because he has a future vision of his sister's death. Uh, then they fight uh, in a very, the most anime fight I've ever seen, I think. <laughs> the um, most anime fight there is. <laughs> uh, and then at the end, uh, Kare uh, uses his X-Wing and the power of hyperspace to uh, like superpower his lightsaber and cut the, the whole thing in half, which that part is pretty cool, by the way. Um, <laughs> And then uh, he crash lands on Tatooine and vows to rescue her his sister from the dark side. Uh, voice acting: Neil Patrick Harris and Allison Brie. Yeah. didn't recognize either <laughs> one of them. I sort of recognized the voice, but I wouldn't have been able to play. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have so. either. So, okay, this one, um, this one was weird for me. Uh, the conjoined Star Destroyer thing. The minute I saw it, I was like, "How on earth would that work?" Because the center of gravity and these two things would tear them apart if you tried to move either one of them. So this is me being probably too analytical for anime. Yes. And, the, and this is one I have to admit, I liked aspects of this because I liked the fact that it was so very anime. It was. Um, they, like they have a whole fight, like floating on top of the Star Destroyers. Like, have you ever seen Naruto or anything like that? This, like, I so I, I don't watch any of this stuff. But my, I, I pick up on it because of the, just the, the zeitgeist of my house with my daughter watching it all the time. <laughs> And I've seen her watch Naruto, and Naruto is 45 minutes where they just go back and forth between two styles of animation, and they don't even animate the characters talking. It's all, like, in their heads. Yeah. Um, and they basically just explain everything they're about to do, and everything just feels made up on the spot. So one character will say, uh, I will now destroy you using my power of whatever. And the other character goes, ha-ha, but you cannot destroy me using that power because I have the defense of whatever. I will recover your defense of whatever. It feels like the beginning of Toy Story 3, like, where, like, Andy keeps getting out, well, I've got my attack dog that eats dinosaurs. Like, like just making up new things as they go this one had a lot of that and then a lot of just i don't know overwrought um um eh, violence basically it's not really violent but um lots of screaming and explaining why we're screaming i don't know this is this is the type of anime i really don't care for 
Um, and although the, the story between the brother and sister I thought was actually pretty good. I liked the whole idea of it. I didn't even mind that they were like on top of a Death Star or a Star, Star Destroyer. I was thinking, you know what, they're, they're Sith basically. You know, why, why, why do they got to breathe oxygen? Exactly. You know, who cares? Um, so well, I, I really, Jedi proven they don't have to in holding their breath in yeah. gas in the beginning <laughs> of episode one. So, yeah, I, the, the actual conflict between them I didn't find all that compelling. It was actually kind of annoying for me because it's, like I said, the type of anime I, I don't like and just find irritating from a narrative standpoint. But at the end, when he gets on his X-Wing and, like, plugs in the hyperdrive, I expected to roll my eyes through that, but they actually pulled that off pretty well, yeah. I thought. This was one that I, my problem with it was I enjoyed the actual conflict between them, the actual battles between them, but the setup just felt forced. Yeah. Um, you know, the whole idea of them being twins, the one going rogue, you didn't really get a lot of the stuff with the vision, like, they gave you a little bit of it, but it didn't make yeah. any sense until the very end. It was one that I really kind of, and I, I sort of hate saying this, it felt like it was there was a pretext to make this cool battle scene, which was a really cool battle scene. Um, and it's not like Star Wars has not done that before. Yeah. Um, but that was my problem with it. I thought the battle scene was great, and I liked it because of what it was. It is, this is, in my take, this is the most anime of any of these. In the they even had the tentacles. Out. Like, her, her use of the lightsaber <laughs> yes, was like, like a giant <laughs> tentacle lightsaber, like reaching out and grabbing his lightsaber. And I don't know, there was, there was a lot going on there that we could probably psychoanalyze. But, um, yeah, <laughs> n- not, not one of my favorite ones uh, of yep. these. All right. Uh, the next one is The Village Bride, uh, directed by... Wait, 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 my cheat right. Yes, directed by mm-hmm. Hitoshi Haga and written by uh, Takehito Unishi and Hitoshi Haga. Uh, so I guess Hitoshi gets uh, credits on both. Years after the Great Jedi Purge, a fallen Jedi named F is drawn to a remote planet by an explorer named Valko. Valko explains that bandit raiders have reprogrammed old Separatist battle droids and are holding a village hostage. The village chief's daughter, Haru, and her fiancé, Asu, intend to surrender to the bandits as collateral the following morning. Well, Haru's sister, Saku, wants to fight them. Uh, the next morning, the bandits reveal that they have captured Saku and attempt to execute her, but F and Falco uh, intervene and kill all the bandits. F then departs. Um, I didn't recognize any of the voice actors in this, uh, but I did look them up, and they all appear to be, uh, uh, um, you know, American or Canadian actors of uh, Asian descent. So this will be a theme that we see is um, excellent use of uh, probably underutilized actors. Yeah. Um, I, I like The Village Bride. I did too. It's, I like this one. The, the reason I like this one is because the Jedis are secondary in this. Yeah. Um, and what you also have is, I think it's F in particular, you really have the idea of a Jedi Master constantly teaching Mm-hmm. Um, and teaching things that have nothing to do with Jedi's or, you know, combat or anything And it wasn't else. clear that Jedi were going to intervene at all on this. They were kind yeah. of on the sideline. They were just there. Um, and I, I really didn't expect them to get involved. The story is really more about um, uh, the, this family, uh, the, the couple, her sister, different ideas about uh, whether, whether to fight or not, the right thing to do, how you achieve peace. Um, this one also felt uh, very much uh, very anime in thematically. Yes. Um, and uh, I, I, I like you. I also enjoyed it. The animation style I liked. Um, just thought it was just excellently done all around. Yeah. This is and again, the, the, I think the real thing I liked about this is, in some sense, this is an exploration of good and evil from a non-Jedi point of view. Even though Jedi are present. Yeah. And the thing that to me I really felt like in this, in the way I put it, I felt like a Jedi apprentice in this one. That I was, I didn't understand what I was seeing. Yeah. Because you have the master who clearly knows what's going on. Like they're they're very calm. They clearly sort of know what's going on. They know what to expect. They know when the fight is going to be necessary. And you, as the watcher, I have no idea. 
Yeah. And I really thought that was well done to me. And again, the way I put it is, to me, this, I felt like a Jedi apprentice in this one. It felt a little bit like the Dagobah sequence. Like, we're, we're, we're learning about this the same way that the characters are. Like, yeah. we as the audience are being taught. So that uh, I, I like, you know, like I said, almost every one of these involves a Jedi somehow. Um, but this one, I thought, did a nice job of kind of putting them to the side and not letting the setting um, upstage the story. Yeah. Yeah, they did, I think they did a great job with this one. And it really, in my mind, this is not so much a Star Wars story. It just happens to involve Jedi, which is what makes it a Star Wars story. This yeah. can be anywhere. This can be universal. I wish they did more stuff like this, where yeah. it's just a story, a small story, tightly focused, you know, uh, small camera, small lens, uh, just a, a moment in time to, to just see a small part of this this universe. Um, yeah, really and, like and that. It, to me, that I really enjoyed the village ride. I, it surprised me actually because it was one where it started. I'm like, where's this going? Yeah, I feel like that was kind of the same way. But as I was watching, <laughs> and I got I got pulled into it. Okay, the next one is called The Ninth Jedi, written and directed by Kenji Kamiyama. Many generations after the Jedi Order became mostly extinct, Margrave Juro, the Jedi ruler of the planet Hyazlan, invites seven masterless Jedi to his aerial temple, that orbits the planet, in order to receive lightsabers, whose design has been lost to time. That alone I thought was fascinating. Yeah, I thought the concept was kind of neat. Yeah. Uh, Juro's droid gifts the first lightsaber to a young Jedi named Ethan, the youngest of the seven, as proof, uh, proof that they exist, promising the other Jedi that they will receive theirs once they are completed. Down on the planet's surface, hunters working for the Sith capture the sabersmith, Lazima. Lazima's daughter, Kara, who is also Force-sensitive, escapes with the finished lightsabers, presents them to the Jedi. But then we find out that six of the Jedi accompanying Ethan are actually Sith impersonators who killed the Jedi that Juro originally invited. Uh, Juro then reveals himself to have been disguised uh, as his droid all along. Uh, there's a fight. They kill five. Spare the six, who's revealed to be an old friend of Juro's. Uh, and so it goes. Um, so um, this one I also really, really liked. Yes, I really liked this one. The biggest thing I liked in this one was... I love the discussion of what the lightsaber was. Yes. And the idea of it being personal. This is things we've seen before. Um, it's stuff that, you know, had existed in Clone Wars, uh, you know, a little bit with the idea of the of the lightsaber. It's stuff that I think Disney has also played around with in its parks. Yeah. Um, you was know, this the, the one where she she had a, she turned the lightsaber on, but it didn't have a color yeah, it yet? Have a color. Yeah. And the idea that it doesn't know who you are because you're force sensitive, but it doesn't know who you are yet. Yeah. So hers was like kind of almost <laughs> transparent with like a little black yeah, it was glow around it. And, and what I liked about it is the idea that it's the Jedi color, the color of the lightsaber means something. Yeah. Which is something I think we kind of all thought at some point in time. Well, I think it was in red. source material for the role-playing game that, like, <clears throat> the kyber crystal has a resonation frequency that influences the color, uh, but also the Jedi has to use the Force to activate it somehow. I vaguely yeah. remember this from the, the West End games. Yeah, and that's, and again, what I liked about it is the fact that the color mattered, which gives us stuff in other places. So, like, the fact that Ray's lightsaber is yellow, you know, is an mm -hmm. interesting idea. Um, you know, for those that have um, that have seen, you know, the stuff in uh, in Rebels, you know, Snips. I always call her Snips. And <laughs> um, you know, lightsabers is are white um, because she's sort of neither, you know, yeah. Jedi nor nor uh, Sith. Is a, a kind of neat concept as to what it is, and so I really like the idea that they have that the color is the color means something, which also is something they could potentially explore at some point in time in the future of the green versus blue. Yeah. Um, and even the purple, you know, yeah. you know, and, and getting that more into the universe. Yeah, I also, um, I really liked the Sabersmith character. He had kind of a Hatari Hanzo feel to him. <laughs> like the, I, I, think, I know Hanzo's like a, a character in, yeah. in Japanese cinema that's kind of been recycled. It was in the Kill Bill series as well. You know, the Hanzo sword is always like the most amazing sword. And uh, the, the Sabersmith Lazima kind of had uh, that, that feel to him. 
Um, also, there's a really small sequence towards the end where uh, the daughter, uh, Kara, is trying to get the lightsabers up to the temple, and she has to, like, badger this, this like, tired droid <laughs> into fly, like, piloting her up. And, and she just, like, like stands there and pouts at him until he does it. It's, it's, it's really funny because, like, the droid's, like, like an old rusted fat guy. Like, it's like a fat droid. Like, yeah. like, he was built to be fat. And he's just sitting like, I don't want to go. And, and she finally gets him to do it. So I kind of like that. Little little touches like that to the story. Uh, the way that the Jedi were introduced. And the idea that the Jedi Order is gone. So are we, like, thousands and thousands of years, like, into the future of the story we already know? Yeah. The other thing I liked about it, quite frankly, was this one has the big twist in the middle of it. Yeah. The revelation of the Jedi. That's, you know, spoiler alert. We just told you. Yeah, um, yeah the droid <laughs> is the guy. Because they're all waiting for Juro or Euro to, to come out, uh, and then it turns out that he's inside the droid the whole time. I, I have to admit, I sort of guessed that. But it was one of those things with the... What I liked about this was the twist and the idea of what does it mean to be a Jedi. You see her with, again, sort of spoiler alerts, her clear saber changing color as yeah, she's as, as she learns to use it, yeah. Um, and kind of that kind of concept with it with, you know, to me this one really did, that. this in some sense did the most advancement in any Star Wars plot. I was going to say, this days. one I think you could take and expand into like a, a more fulsome um, yeah. um, a property, for lack of a better yeah. word, like a series yeah. or uh, something yeah. else. The other thing that's really cool is when you find out at the very end, the space station, and they show the imagery of it, it looks the like lights a lightsaber. turn on and yeah. it's an inverted lightsaber yeah. aiming at the planet. Um, which is one of those things, again, it's, to me, this one gave you the most, back, you know, sort of lack of a better term, background knowledge of, of Star Wars. Yeah. And that's what I like to do. <laughs> All right, the next one is called Toby. Toby. Uh, well, it's T0-B1. Uh, directed by Abel Gangora and written by Yuichiro Kido. Shortly after the Great Jedi Purge, a droid named Toby lives on a deserted planet with his armless creator, Professor Matika. Or Mataka, and dreams of becoming a Jedi. One day, Mataka tells him that to do that, he must find a kyber crystal so he can forge a lightsaber. Uh, Toby scours the planet, can't find one, and then he defies uh, Mataka's orders to never enter the basement. There, he discovers a starship and accidentally sends a signal that alerts a Sith Inquisitor to their presence. Mataka reveals himself to be a former Jedi. He hides Toby and his old lightsaber hilt. When Toby leaves his hiding spot, he finds out that the Inquisitor has ransacked Mataka's lab and killed Mataka. Toby continues his research, successfully terraforms the planet, is later confronted by the Inquisitor, fixes Mataka's lightsaber. Uh, Toby is revealed to be powered by a kyber crystal designed by Mataka to be able to wield the Force. He ignites the lightsaber, kills the Inquisitor in a duel, and then departs the planet to explore the galaxy and uphold Mataka's legacy. So this one, um, the animation style, the aesthetic, I absolutely hated. But I have to agree with you on that one. It's, and I know it's, what style it is. It's a very distinct yeah, style. Yeah, it's very just distinct. It's like very, um, very... I, I was watching I thought this is made for babies. Uh, but it's not. The story's not. The story itself I actually kind of liked. I kind of wish Toby was not a droid. I just find droids generally annoying in Star Wars. Um... But um, the story itself, I thought, was was not bad. And um, the whole idea of, um, you know, it's just sort of the Luke Skywalker story all over again. It was even kind of a desolate desert planet, I yeah, think. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, it um, was very desolate desert planet, definitely. So the, thing was, the story was fine. It wasn't particularly inspired, I didn't think, but it was fine. Um, but I, I, I just could not get past the animation style. Yeah, and that's, I completely get the thing. The animation style bothered me about it. I also found this story to just be too big. I mean, it's it's almost multi generational. I mean, yeah. you know, in the way they did it, and it's you know, fifteen minutes long. Yeah. Um, 
So I think that was we have another one that's got a similar there. problem. We're going to come up on here in a, in a few episodes. Yeah, and that was I think my thing with that. I also, quite frankly, I, I think the exploration was supposed to be the idea of a droid being a Jedi. Yeah, and the concept of can a droid be a Jedi? Can they sort of have the? Can they wield the Force? Stuff like that. I thought it was an intriguing exploration, but I didn't think it was done well. Yeah, that was the the thing with it. So that was my take from that one. Is that to me, it just didn't quite mesh right. I liked the concept, but again, to me, it just didn't quite yeah. mesh right. Yeah. Agreed. Okay, the seventh one is called The Elder, written and directed by Masahiko Atsuka. Centuries after the death of Darth Bane and the initial extinction of the Sith, Tajin, is it Tajin or Tahin? It was Tajin. I can't remember. As Padawan Dan are sent to explore the Outer Rim when Tajin senses a disturbance in the Force. They land on an isolated planet and arrive at a remote village where they learn of a mysterious elder who hiked into the mountaintop. Dan follows the elder's trail and meets the man who reveals himself to be a former Sith who left the Order before it fell apart. The Elder wounds Dan, and Tajin arrives to fight the Elder. Tajin narrowly manages to kill the Elder, who decomposes into a rocky sediment and detonates an explosion that destroys his ship as he dies. As they leave the village upon Dan's recovery, Tajin tells Dan that being a Jedi means being kind-hearted, so they do not end up like the Elder. I loved this one. I didn't. No? This is the first one we're going to disagree on, I think. One, I loved the Elder. I think he's a great character. But well, I didn't like the plot. Let's uh, look voice actors. David Harbour from Stranger Things. <laughs> uh, James Hong, who if you don't know who that is, it's Mr. Ping from Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> but I will always remember him as a low pan from Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> uh, and then Jordan Fisher, who I'm not familiar with, uh, but just look based on his Wikipedia page, uh, I think he's 27 or 28, already very accomplished. So uh, excellent cast. But Kurt, go ahead. So you did not like this one. I didn't like this. The, the reason I didn't like this is I... I sort of, to me, it got to be the idea of don't be brash. Again, I kind of look at, you know, what's the, the learning point of what these things are. And what I found bothersome about it is, and I, I hate saying this, I found it predictable um, as to what was going to happen between Dan and the, you know, the Elder and stuff like that. I did really like the Elder as a character. The yeah. idea of sort of the, I'm, I'm, I'm past my prime, I know it, and I need to die in battle type of character. I just found that his foil in the in the two Jedi was uninteresting. That yeah. was the thing for me. See, that's the part that I thought was really interesting is is sort of the resignation of both the Elder and of Tajin, uh, that they're eventually going to succumb to time. And even yeah. Tajin was saying, like, I'm getting weaker every day while you're getting stronger to his Padawan. Yeah. And the whole point was, you know, as you gain this power, you have to learn how to wield it properly or you'll wind up like that guy. Yeah. It's, it's a Spider-Man, you know, yeah. with great power comes your responsibility. Um, but the... Again, to me, what bothered me with this is I really loved the Elder as a character, and Dan and Tajid just didn't work to me. To me, they were they were an uninteresting foil from the Elder mm-hmm. who I kind of wanted to root for. Yeah. Like, that, that was kind of the weird thing, you know, in conjunction with it, because I was like, he's a much more interesting character. Even though he's a bit crazy, I think, yeah. you know, is the way to put it. But <laughs> Yep. All right. Well, that's interesting. We disagree on that one. That was one of my most favorites. All right. Number eight is called Lop and Ocho, uh, directed by Yuki Igarashi and written by... Uh, Sayawaka, only one name given. I don't. Maybe they have like a Sinbad thing in Chan, uh, Japan or uh, Japan too, where you just get one name sometimes. Um, okay, synopsis: During the reign of the Empire, a rabbit-like alien slave named Lop escapes her captors on the planet Tau and is discovered by the planet's clan leader Yasaburo and his daughter Ocho. The latter of whom convinces the former to adopt Lop as his daughter. Seven years later, the Empire has occupied the planet and is exploiting it for its natural resources. 
Yasuburo wants to drive the Empire off their planet, while Ocho wants to cooperate with the Empire. After failing to convince Yasuburo to join her, Ocho enlists in the Imperial Navy despite Lop's protests. With Ocho gone, Yasuburo passes down the family treasure, an ancient lightsaber given to their ancestor and passed down the generations to the Force-sensitive Lop and departs to confront Ocho, who blinds Yasuburo in a fight, but Lop arrives and injures Ocho, who is forced to flee. Lop then vows to return Ocho home. Um, I didn't even rank this one in my rankings because I wasn't even sure where to put it. Um, at various points in this one, I loved it and hated it. <laughs> <laughs> I think what I found the most off-putting uh, and difficult to get past was the character design for Lop, who every time I looked at it, I, I just had in the back of my mind, furry convention. <laughs> Could not get past that. It's Lop is kind of a strange character because she's a rabbit. You know yeah. what it was. Now I had a different thing. I actually had the character from uh, Zootopia in my head. The yes, the, 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 Zootopia, uh, who she does actually kind of look like as well. Um, and, and it was I couldn't get that out of my head. Sort of you know to, to put it that way. What my take from it was, I really liked the concept of this one. I did too. Of, what's the Jedi? I also really like the portrayal of the Empire. That, you know, people don't kind of know what to make of the Empire, but the people who are in power are like, this is evil. Yeah. But even them as the kids are kind of like, wait, we're not sure. Well, and um, you also, they, they explore the idea that, that the, although the Empire is, of course, supposed to be evil, um, the, we talked about this before on, on our podcast about how the choices in, in the Star Wars universe are, are, are kind of given a binary good and evil, but that doesn't reflect reality. And we've talked before about, you know, blowing up the Death Star means slaughtering millions of innocent people who had nothing to do with the Empire or its oppression. Uh, so is it a, you know, ends justify the, the means type of thing, or is it for the greater good? And here we have a character who's not a bad character, sort of looking at it and saying, you know, joining forces with the Empire, or at least, you know, a cooperating to some minimalistic degree, is, is the best thing for me and my family and for our planet, which is also a theme we'll get into when we talk about the Bad Batch later. Um, this idea that there are, are nuances on the yes. sides here. We saw that show up in The Mandalorian a little bit, where the Imperial officers were talking about, you know, what we just talked about, how many people have been killed by the Rebellion who had done nothing wrong. Uh, and, and now we see it playing out here as well. So if there's, I, if there's one thing I like about Disney and Star Wars right now is this exploration of the Empire, which fits with a broader theme. You guys have listened to prior one, my idea of what are monsters, you know, stuff like that, and the Cruella episode I talk about. We've really gotten to this idea that evil is nuanced, which yeah. I, I like that, you know, think even the Empire in this, like you get the impression the Empire is, you know, just flatly evil. But you also get the fact that there's some nuance. And, and what I like about it was not the empire is good it was the idea of is she evil for cooperating yeah. for good reasons um and that's what i liked again my take with this one i enjoyed this one i think this was one of the longer ones too if i remember correctly that yeah because well, it has like a seven year gap like there's like a three minute introduction where they rescue yeah. the rabbit and then it's like at seven years later i'm like wait a minute you only got 20 minutes to work with yeah. here you know and it was kind of a weird um introduction to her i thought yeah. it was kind of and again, I, I had trouble with her character design, but I got the idea that she was supposed to be clearly meek. That was the reason they made yeah. her look like a rabbit. The other one being strong, because she's more cat-like, I would, I would yeah. put it. Um, and the idea of it sort of being the weak daughter helping. I think This is one that I think had a lot more to it. Um, yeah. And the necessity you get on one watching. Again, I liked it. To me, the thing about it was, again, since I didn't like the one prior to it, I, the, sort of the two or even almost three, I think it was prior to it, well, two prior to it, 
this one kind of all of a sudden I did like, and so I kind of wonder how much of that was also, you know, seeing them as the... Yeah, because I watched these in order as well. When I got yeah. to this one, I was like, I don't... When I first started, I was like, I really can't... I'm serious, that rabbit design. And my first thought when, when they introduced the rabbit was, they better not give her a lightsaber because she's going to cut her ears off every time she flips around <laughs> and tries to use it. Um, which the Twilight's I, not a problem. <laughs> they should. I think they just edit that part out. Um, so yeah, this one I, I struggled with. I, I, I think I liked it more than I wanted to, but I just... I really wish they would have made a lop something else that was not a furry, yeah, I, basically. I didn't, I, I, I'm kind of saying, I didn't like the animal the animal nature of the characters. I think it yeah. would have worked a little bit better for them to have been quite something a little more human. Yeah, yeah. Um, All right, and the last one is, is called Akakiri, uh, directed by Yun Yong Choi and written by Yuichiro Kido. Prior to the initial extinction of the Sith, a Jedi named Tsubaki, who has been suffering from visions of an unidentified individual dying in front of him, reunites with his old love, Misa, a princess who has been overthrown by her dark side-wielding Aunt Masago. By, by the way, we should mention, this one's the real spoiler one, so if you haven't seen yes. them, don't listen to this. With the aid of guides <laughs> Senshu and Kamahachi, to, uh, Tsubaki and Misa make their way to the royal palace. Masago captures Tsubaki's friends and overpowers him, and then attempts to convince him to join her as her apprentice. Boy, I've never seen that before. Yep. Uh, when Tsubaki refuses, Masago's masked henchmen attack him. Tsubaki kills them, but also accidentally kills Misa, dressed in their uniform, just as he had foreseen. Completely broken, Tsubaki agrees to join Masago, forming a dyad to resurrect Misa and departs. This was what the plot of the prequel should have been and was not. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, this was one of my favorites in the end. I thought it was also a great place to end because this one ends tragically. Also, George Takai is in this. Yeah, which I didn't Takei, get to I have. George Takai. I didn't either. I, I looked that's that's all. That's, yeah. Um, it's, you know, the, I really enjoyed this one. I liked the portrayal where you slowly see his vision yeah. of what is going to happen. He knows it's a tragedy. It's done like the Yoda-esque Luke vision. You know, it's a tragedy. The master is trying to talk him out of it. That you will face what it is. This is the this is the scene on Dagobah with Luke and, yeah. and Yoda going the other way. You know what I loved about <laughs> this? So this is classic Shakespearean tragedy, right? Yes. This is Romeo and Juliet. This is King Lear. And then I love that Kurosawa often would do basically Japanese cinema versions of Shakespearean tragedies. And now we have Star Wars based on Kurosawa and then this. So <laughs> we're layering upon layering upon layering. Uh, this this one was uh, excellent. I, I really shuffled between where to rank these. And I've had this one at various times as my number one, number two, number three, number four. Um, <laughs> I can see that. Um, but yeah, this one um, was just extremely well done. I, I was actually moving around the house and like getting generating stuff when it was on, so I didn't catch all the nuances of, of the plot. But uh, I do remember being done with it and just thinking like, wow, that was that was just incredibly well done. Um, and also, uh, unlike some of these where maybe this is just me and my taste or my lack of familiarity with the genre, uh, I didn't have any problems with the animation style here. But some of the other ones I ha I were off-putting yeah. to me just because of those I thought a couple of the animation things in difficulty in this one in that it was the blurry scenes yes. were a little hard to deal with because of being purposely blurred and yeah. sort of the way they were blurred. They were blurred in a classic anime style, I would say, you know, where it's, it was clearly drawn. It was just then yeah. purposely blurred. Um, the thing that I did like is it's slowly becoming clearer. Again, to me, the plot of this one was the best. It was. To, I also have to say, this was the perfect place to end. I also yeah. have to give credit to the visions of putting this as the end one because it is the tragedy. This yeah. one ends tragically. The rest don't. Um, and so it's one of those where I, I really thought they did, they did a good job with this one. I thought he was a very interesting character. And again, what I really liked about this is this is Luke and Yoda gone wrong. It's yeah. the same scene in Empire Strikes Back, virtually identical relationship between Master and Apprentice showing that it goes wrong and how it goes wrong 
and it goes wrong entirely because he misinterprets what he's doing. And I also caught on how quickly you caught it. When they captured her in the conjunction mm-hmm. with this, the next time they showed the vision, I realized what was going to happen. I caught See, I didn't, the fact no, I didn't. that it was his guards, and she was going to disguise. She was going to be disguised as one of the guards. I didn't catch that. Um, and it was one of those where I was like, "This, it, it, you could see it coming from me." And that's what it was. And I was like, "To me, again, what was so brilliant about this is the this was everything the scene with Anakin and the Empire should have been, yeah, and wasn't. Yep. You know, it, 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 it's." It, I mean, maybe that was the reason that it was made. Is quite frankly, he was trying to retell that scene. Uh, it could be. I would say this one probably of all of these, I would say, had the best screenplay, like the best script. Uh, yeah, in many respects, I think it does. Um, it, it's definitely one of the most interesting, you know, sort of was. And again, to me, it was one of the most enjoyable. And I thought it was the perfect place to end. Yeah. It's also one of the shorter ones. It was, yeah, it was relatively short. Okay, so uh, rankings. I'll give you my rankings, and Kirk hasn't didn't know he's going to make him do this, so I'll let him. I'll, I'm going to stall here while Kirk looks over these. Yeah, I think I know what my rankings are going to be. So, so my number one is actually still the first one, the duel. Maybe it's because I saw it first, but I just they came out of the gate with a bang, and yeah. I've I've seen that one several times again, and I just loved it. So my number one is the duel, the first episode. My number two is the ninth Jedi, uh, the one about the the lightsaber temple. It takes place uh, far in the future. My number three is actually The Elder, so I think Kirk and I will differ significantly there. (laughs) My number four is Akakiri, the last one we just talked about. My number five is The Village Bride, although, I mean, that one could have really gone up because it was excellent. Um, My number six was uh, The Twins. My number seven was Toby, and my number eight was Tatooine Rhapsody. And I didn't rank the the one with the rabbit because I just, I can't, I can't, I can't, it's like an untapped when I have a beer in a style that I don't like. I don't, I feel wrong ranking it because I'm, it, it's not made for me. Yeah, you definitely sort of bump into that. Interestingly, I think if you were to compare top halves to top halves, we're pretty much the same, but my order's a little different. Um, I'm going to put The Village Bride as my number one. Really? I really enjoyed The Village Bride. I don't hmm. entirely know why, but I really did. Um, as to, you know, what it was, and, and, Again, it's one of these where it's hard for me to place my finger on what I liked about it so much. I just really did. Um, I would probably put The Duel um, as my number two, mm-hmm. but that it's really between The Duel and The Ninth Jedi and number two and number three. Yeah, that I, is a I, hard I could have gone back and forth on those as well. Um, you know, between those. My number four is probably going to be Akakiri. Um, again, you know, one that could be higher, um, you know, but isn't necessarily as to what it was. I'm going to you know, break with Ben, and I'm going to put Lop and Ocho um, you know, <laughs> as my next one in conjunction with it. Uh, I think I'd agree with that. I'd put it solidly in the middle. Like I think if the rabbit character had been different, it might have climbed up the climbed yeah. up for me. But I'm also going to disagree with you. I'm going to put Tatooine Rhapsody as my next one. I actually kind of like Tatooine Rhapsody. Again, you know, a part of what I like to it is that concept of music as the weapon. Um, you know, and what it can be uh, from that. As I'm getting sort of down into the bottom here, it gets, I think, a little more difficult. Um, uh, I'm probably going to put the twins above the elder just because I really did kind of love that battle scene and thought mm-hmm. it was going to need as to what it was. And then I'm going to put Toby at the bottom. Um, again, I just found Toby to be a difficult... It was difficult to, to scan the plot. It was you know, it was a long-term thing, and I just felt like it didn't work. Yep. But yeah, I think what we find with it, I think our top five and our bottom five pretty, are probably pretty similar. Close, yeah. um, but you know, we had some definitely sort of changes between them as to which one we liked. So. 
All right, shifting gears. Let's talk about the Bad Batch. So, I so Kirk's already done an episode on, on this, which I haven't still haven't listened to to this day. So, I don't want to have any spoilers. Uh, so, I'm going to, have to go listen to that after this episode. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I did that after I'd seen it all. I'm trying to remember if I'd seen all of it, or I may have actually seen it, but having not seen the very last episode, I can't remember. Entirely possible. Um, so, uh, a fair, fair warning for uh, so once again spoilers. If you're still here and haven't seen the Bad Batch, we're going to get spoilers. And I would tell you, is Bad Batch is worth watching, not knowing what's going on? A- absolutely, I would totally agree. Um, so I, 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 I'm going to say I watched The Bad Batch, but to be more honest, I would say I listened to probably the first seven episodes because over the weekend um, I had to paint a room, and so I just put it on my phone and let it play while I was painting uh, and got through the first six or seven, maybe eight episodes, mostly just listening to it. And then I watched the last couple. So um, my, my impression may be different than Kirk's because I didn't actually see a lot of it, but uh, listening to it, I can tell you that there is about five to six minutes of plot in each one, <laughs> and the rest is uh, filler and action. But having seen the action in the latter episodes, uh, that is not a bad thing. Yeah. Because uh, overall, the I thought it was uh, extremely well put together. Um, the characters are kind of um, borderline stock characters, all it's, of them. It's the A-Team, let's be realistic. That's funny. I was going to say, it's basically <laughs> the A-Team. It's some kind of special forces <laughs> ensemble cast. Um, so let's, let's talk about the basic plot. We start off, um, it opens up during Order 66. Well, we, 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 one of the things to put in, I think it's worth noting, if you've seen um, the Clone Wars, the animated Clone Wars, the Bad Batch is introduced in the Clone Wars, with with Echo being the important character who is one of the old clone troopers um, that you know wasn't was an actual main character was captured and modified into Echo which is a bit of his he has obviously some issues with that um, you know it's a bit of Robocop quite frankly mm-hmm. um, you know sort of in that that then becomes the Bad Batch you know the Bad Batch are the they, they join up and become yep. the Bad Batch you don't give a lot of history about the Bad Batch and I mentioned it in the original episode I mentioned it in my short episode. I did not like the Bad Batch in Clone Wars. I didn't like them at all. I thought they were... Was it the same characters? Exact same characters. I thought it was a forced group. It felt too much like the A-Team, and it felt too much like, oh, we need something that isn't clones just to be interesting. Yeah. But they're clones, but they're interesting. And it was like, okay, yeah, whatever. So I was very lukewarm, as you'll find out last year about our you know yeah. episode do it, talking about this on the Clone Wars. I didn't really think it was going to be that good. My kids, however, loved the Clone Wars episodes and wanted to watch the Clone Wars, so we decided to watch it. Um, I will say, quite frankly, I did a complete 180 in the course yeah. of watching this. But yeah, so you basically get the start of the Clone Wars. You can give the synopsis if you want to. As yeah, a- so the, the, the premise is that the Bad Batch is a special experimental um, small batch of clones who are genetically modified to amplify certain characteristics. Uh, you've got one of them is sort of your stereotypical uh, small squad leader. That's Hunter. You've got uh, the Rainbow esque. Yeah, yeah. You get you got Egon Spengler who is the, the tech, um, and then you've got uh, Wrecker who is your your sort of brawler type. Although I thought his name was Eureka for the longest time because there's also a clone <laughs> called Omega, and she's played by an actress with a thick New Zealand accent. So when she says Rekka, she says Rika. I kept thinking she was saying Eureka, and it took me a while to figure out that she's from New Zealand. So it was, it's just how she says Rekka. It sounds like Rika. Um, so Wrecker, and then there is Echo, who Kirk just mentioned, and there is a fifth one, uh, um, Crosshair, Crosshair, who's like the sniper character. Uh, he winds up being the villain, uh, sort of, in, in this series. So, Yeah, and again, it's all the same characters were introduced originally in the Clone Wars. Again, Echo was added. Echo was, um, I can't remember which clone his name was, is a clone trooper. I think he's sixes, if I remember correctly. Um, he is modified by the, the um, uh, I can't remember what they are, the Tech Alliance, or whatever they're called. They're introduced in episode one. The Kemi 
No, it's the it's the the the, the mechanized guys who like push the buttons to talk. Um, I can't think what they are. It's Tech Alliance or something like that. He's modified to basically be half droid, mm-hmm. um, and he's obviously messed up by that experience. He's rescued as part of Clone Wars, and he realizes he no longer fits with the rest of the clones, which is why he joins. Yeah, uh, the bad bad. So the other clones are called fits. regs, like regular clones, yeah. and they all have designations like CC dash whatever their serial number is. Yeah. These guys are CT or CX or C something else. Yeah, and they're all ninety nine because they're batch ninety nine. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and so uh, the the so the the uh, Bad Batch series opens in the middle of uh, Order sixty six. Actually, it starts about five minutes before Order sixty six. Yep. Uh, all the clones turn on the Jedi except for the Bad Batch, um, who uh, because of their alterations are not affected by the programming that's supposed to make them follow the Somehow, Emperor's they're order. very confused. A couple of them are getting yeah. headaches. And they stuff don't really like that, understand but... what's going on. Crosshair kind of wants to comply with the order, but still doesn't fully. Uh, the main Jedi we're, we're following uh, is is killed by the the clone troopers. Her Padawan escapes, uh, played by Freddie Prince Jr. I later found out. I don't know why they started there because he's never in the rest of the series. I after think he's going to come back. I guess it's, yeah. it's an important thing that he escapes, though somebody needed to escape. Yeah. And then, uh, and so the Bad Batch returned to Camino, uh, where um, uh, th- things are afoot. And then, really, the whole premise and the backdrop of the series, which Kirk, I'm going to guess, lights on on in his uh, his prior episode, is the transition from Republic to Empire. We see the Empire. Uh, beginning to clamp down on things, keep better track of people. It really becomes more authoritarian. Um, And we see kind of the process of that happening, how it's happening slowly, and the transition away from using clones as basically a military operation to conscripts. Um, and storm, and, and stormtroopers. Storm and there's there's two things that happened throughout the series that, that was very subtly introduced, but I thought was excellent. One is the stormtroopers are given the designation TK. Hey. Which from Star Wars, TK-421, why yeah. aren't you at your post? The first thing I thought <laughs> when I saw that was, oh my gosh, that's where that is. Also, they, they emphasize over and over that although uh, that the clones are too expensive to, to, to feed, maintain, and produce. Yeah. Uh, so the, the government is reconsidering its contract with the Keminoans. Uh, but the Whereas Kimi- conscripts are free because the Empire just convinces yes. them it's what they should do. But they keep saying, but they're less skilled, which I think is a nod to the famous, the stormtroopers can't hit the broadside of a barn. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they play around a lot. The big thing I got with it, and one of the big things focuses with it, is what is a clone if it's not a clone trooper? And that's one of the sort of big focuses, because again, you also have the stars of this are not really clone troopers. They're all individuals, they're all different. And you, they introduced some of the clones from previous, from previous yeah. things that we've bumped into. But they are presumably cloned from Django Fett. Fett they mention yeah. that over and over. They talk about how there's only two complete copies of Django Fett's DNA. One is Boba, who's missing. Yeah. And the other one is Omega, a special clone they created. Yeah. And you find that about halfway through, that Omega is actually yeah. you know a direct clone of Django Fett. You find that right away, that she's, a, she's also a clone. But you yeah. don't know that she's a special type of clone, because she has this. Uh-huh. And that also explains, um, I think, why almost all the main actors in this have, have Australian or New Zealand accents... Because Tamura Morrison, who played Django Fett, had was from New Zealand. So the other thing that's interesting about it, just as one of those sort of interesting backdrops, if you've noticed in the credits, the entire Bad Batch is all voiced by the same actor. Is it really? Yeah, that makes sense, I guess. <laughs> and, and occasionally you do, occasionally they hear something where it's like, wait, that sounds like Crosshair, and it's not. But you know, yeah. you get into some of those kind of. See, things. interestingly, since I was listening to it, um, I didn't know which character was which, and to kind of figure it out from context, Tech was easy to pick out. Yeah. Um, and, and Wrecker, of course, was really easy to pick out. And so was Crosshair because he just his the, the words just drip yeah. out of his mouth like oil. <laughs> uh, but between Hunter and Echo, I couldn't always tell who was talking. Yeah. And so yeah, it's one of those where you know you get this backdrop of what it is. You find out all the clones. You just know, you really get and what I really loved about Clone Wars as a whole is you are seeing the Empire form. Yep. And the Empire and, and and the Bad Batch gets 
this is a bad thing. And, yeah. and you see, like, you know, the Clint is one of the episodes entirely has to do with getting passage for a civilian off planet. Yeah. You know, there's not much plot. But it's a really important. But they introduce these chain codes that you can't, yeah. you know, you can't leave a spaceport without a certain code. The code has to be authorized by the Empire. So you're seeing them kind of clamp down on the civilian population, inhibit movement, very like Soviet Union type yeah. stuff. And again, some of the plays around in conjunction with Rebels, having watched Rebels, and there is a crossover episode in conjunction with it where you meet the the Twi'lek captain in Rebels as a younger child in Clone Wars. Um, and that's sort of, you know, and, and part so of the story. That's like the Ryloth it. episode. Because I wonder, there's yeah. a lot of... I'm sorry, yeah, she's not, she Twilight or she a Ryloth? I don't think about it. Well, the, the Twilights are on Ryloth. Okay, that's yeah. right, okay. <laughs> and so, yeah, the um, and that kind of thing with it, where, you know, she's introduced as a younger child, and they talk about some of the backdrop that she's talked about in Rebels. Um, and, I, you know, I thought that was really cool, the fact that these are ongoing. And to me, it also hammered home that... In Rebels, you see the foundation of the Rebellion. In Bad Batch, we're going to see the foundation of the Empire. That's yeah. really what this is. And you also see there's a little more... There's, there's like political machinations, but not in a prequel way where it's extremely boring and dry. You see how the Empire is leveraging what it's got, leveraging its assets, leveraging politics to gain control over these systems. And you see the promise of peace. They talk over and over yeah. about how the war is over, you're safe now, we've protected you, we're rebuilding your economy, we're rebuilding factories and jobs, yeah. and hey, having a, a battalion of stormtroopers around uh, to keep law and order, you know, you don't need your armies anymore, we'll take care of all that for you. To really quote, to quote Mandalorian, what the people want is order. Yes. You know, and it's you see that really coming in. The chain codes are a perfect example. You really see the idea of like, you know, what are you giving up to get a chain code? Oh, well, you know, you give up everything about being an individual and give yourself entirely over to the Empire, but by doing so, you get access to everything. It's easy. Yep. It's got some modern, you know, worries in it. You There's know, some big brother stuff going yeah, on. It's a Orwellian, yeah. And some even stuff like a chain code, sort of, the, you know, like, isn't this kind of like your smartphone? Um, <laughs> you know, and, and things like that. And that's, to me, that was what really, really worked in Clone Wars and was really working. You know, there's some stuff about, you know, Omega. I think there is still, you know, a lot of kids stuff in it, for lack of a better way. Yeah, the Omega character is probably <laughs> 10 to 12, I guess. Yeah. 10 to 12 year old. Old enough to be able to do things, but uh, young enough to, to be vulnerable, which yeah. I thought was a, a, a good casting, a good design character design. Yeah, and choice. that's, and so, yeah, she's definitely, so she definitely still a kid, but she's competent. She, yeah. She's kind of a tech genius. You get the impression, which you learn why, um, you know, later on in conjunction with the stuff with Django Fett, um, and then, you know, in her creation. Yeah. And I think that's the real thing, as I have with Clone Wars, the way I'd say Clone Wars, or sorry, with them, with them, the, the Bad Batch. The Bad Watch is the first episodes and the last two, and it is really two separate shows. Yeah, the, the, so the middle section of the Bad Batch, um, they kind of escape from Camino because Crosshair turns on them. Uh, they escape from yeah, Camino. Crosshair turns on them, you think, because his chip, you find out his chip was not, and they yeah, can install their chips so they can't. Yeah, they all have inhibitor chips that are supposed to control how they operate, and they don't yeah. really work on most of them, but they... Discussed in great detail in the last season of The Clone Wars. Yeah. Um, the, but the middle third of it, um, they kind of get to a planet uh, where they're basically doing missions and quests for a character named Sid, played by Rhea Perlman from Cheers, um, who does like a great, um, I don't know how to describe it. She just kind of talks like this. All right, you guys, I've got a mission. She reminds me of Roz from Monsters, Inc. a little bit. Yeah. Um, but uh, Rhea, Rhea Perlman plays that character. She's kind of dry, sarcastic. You know, she used to kind of help the Jedi out with stuff, so she's got a soft spot for these guys. But, you know, she's also trying to find her way in this new world. And so she's she, a Jabba-esque. Yeah, a little bit. 
but not evil. <laughs> um, but she kind of hands out the missions for a while, uh, which kind of sends the characters around um, and, and kind of keeps the plot moving forward. Um, there are some filler episodes that don't really do much. And I, I, just to Kirk's point, I think a lot of it was making references and tying in other material that I just haven't seen yet, like the Ryloth scene. Uh, there's a, a great sequence on a Crash Star Destroyer where they take the chips out. That's well done. And the one thing throughout that I thought was... Um, you know, maybe it's because I listened to the first half of it. The sound design in this series is exceptional. Yeah, the way that they true. the way that they reused or, or even did new sounds, it sounded like Star Wars in a way that I've never noticed before in a in a series like this. Yeah, the, the big thing I had with this, and again, I've I've seen I've seen all of Clone Wars, and I've seen back to the first two seasons of Rebels. The one thing about Bad Batch is there's a lot of references to both the to the other animated series. Is, um, you know, Clone Wars having been in the past what it is, and essentially Rebels occurring shortly after, I think, what's going to be there. Yeah, they meet Saw Guerrero early on here. Yeah, and so, you know, you definitely get some sort of pull-ins, you know, things like that. And there, some of the things with it I also think are tie-ins that even I didn't necessarily get. Um, there's some tie-ins to Osaka. Uh, to Osaka I wondered uh, about that, that, yeah. You know, they sort of coming in there. That's one with the Star Destroyer. I kind of wondered if that was a connection there. Um, and so, you know, there's... It is. There's a lot to it, and that's the thing with the Bad Batch. You don't need any of this background, but I'm pretty sure there's a lot of Easter eggs if you're really yeah. into the Star Wars universe. I mean, not seen. I've seen the first two episodes of Clone Wars, and that's it. So I don't know any of this stuff, and I yeah. was able to follow the plot really well. Yeah, and again, having seen it, like I know the stuff with the inhibitor chips. I mean, if you if you want to, and I would suggest that if you're going to watch Bad Batch, it's worthwhile watching the final season of Clone Wars when it's actually called the final season um, of Clone Wars, because the final season of Clone Wars sets up episode three um you know of the of the star wars uh, trilogy itself or star wars series it's some movies itself, revenge of the sith yeah. revenge of the sith um and also gives you a lot of the background like why does order 66 work what is order 66 how is it planned it also quite it gives you a little more background in camino and some of the stuff of bad batch and where this is that the, you even get the fact that sort of at the end of clone wars there's already questions about Kamino. Yeah. You know, they're going to really want Kamino. And the Emperor in particular, who we know Darth Tyrannus was involved potentially in conjunction with setting up Kamino as a lover, that this has been a manipulation for a long yeah. period of time. And he always intends to get rid of the clones and replace them with conscripts. This is one thing I thought I really liked about the Bad Batch is it it made me appreciate, made me understand what was going on better in, in the actual yes. episode one, two, well, two and three more so than one. One's kind of a throwaway. Yeah. But, uh, episode two and three in particular. Three. Yeah, the the plot. Yeah, basically, I never really fully understood who who is on which side, and so this kind of makes clear it's the separatists and the clone or the and the droid army versus the republic and the clone army, um, and that I I think is probably explained pretty well in the Clone Wars series, which I didn't see, though, before seeing Episode 3. Yeah. So Episode 3 just opens with this gigantic space battle. I don't know who's on which side. I don't know which ships belong to who. I don't have any of this background. So I see these Star Destroyer-looking things. Was that the bad guys? Because I'm used to that being yeah. the bad guys. Was that the good guys? And all those sort of that 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 ambiguity really was not present here. I think they did a, just a nice job of of um, explaining the, the who's on which side and why. I still don't fully understand how Palpatine's plan worked, other than he's yeah. What a is, Sith, it's, but, it's to create the war so he gets the army so he takes over, which yeah. is a little bit of what you get is once he's in power. His and again the political machinations. You see the Emperor being a bit of a political animal in oh, that yeah. batch, um, and you know using, a lot of propaganda, yeah, using propaganda and stuff like that. The other problem they've got, and I'm thinking this is something Bad Batch is going to get into, is how do you get from the Separatists to the Rebellion? Mm -hmm. Because they're, they're on the same side in the end, you know, yeah. and, and yet they're, they're the opposite good and evil in conjunction with the way the movies work. 
and I think we're seeing a little bit about that in connection with this as well, because we've obviously got clone troopers that were on the side of the Republic that are presumably going to oppose the Empire. Yep. And so we, we've got them sort of transitioning. So again, to me, the Bad Batch really works from that point of view. And that's what a lot of these middle episodes are, is, again, this foundation of the Empire, this introduction, and a lot of explanation, a lot, a lot of world building, loose ends yeah. together. And again, I think it did tie a lot of loose ends together. A lot of these characters appear in other things. And again, I can't even remember, as, I'm, as Ben's talking about this, there are things which I'm thinking of occurring, and I mm-hmm. can't quite frankly place right now if they happened in Rebels or in the Bad Batch, because they are sort of simultaneously timing-wise, and they did interact. It's like, wait, did this happen there? Did this happen there? Which was, was which? I think that's good. In some sense, I think it's what the Mandalorian is also doing, quite frankly. Yeah. Later on uh, in the ties, is it's kind of doing the same type of thing, and I'm wondering if that's a, that's a theme of Disney, is trying to tie up these tie the world together so that the movies fit together yep. better. I also like the use of, of existing characters in this. Uh, Tarkin's there a little bit, but not yep. too much. He's there at the beginning where it makes sense. Uh, but then at some point, he's got other things to do, and he disappears from the yep. plot for a while. And there's no kind of... I kept waiting for some corny, oh, look, there's Chewbacca type thing to happen. Nothing like that. Yep. Um, it's, it's really kind of uh, focused on its own characters uh, and, and pretty effectively done that way. And I actually thought the ending where, uh, spoiler alert, they destroy the Camino cloning facility, yeah. uh, execute the prime minister, and kind of uh, tie up some loose ends. Very, very Empire-like. Um, yep. And the scene, I didn't expect to really care about it at all, but the scene where they have these three Star Destroyers come in and bowl up the city was well done and yeah. dramatic and for a piece of animation, uh, pretty impactful. Yeah, that's the, the biggest thing I had from it. I don't think I mentioned it in my, my Clone Wars episode, though I might have. Or sorry, my Bad Batch episode, though I might have. Is I was stunned at how sad I was over the death of Camino. Yeah, I didn't expect I didn't it to be. Like I didn't Camino give a crap about movies. it at all. Yeah, I couldn't yeah, care less. Camino was annoying in the movies. And suddenly watching it sink was like, wait. Like, something's been lost. Yeah. You really like, felt like it was like the true passing. Like, okay, well, the old world's officially gone, right? Because yeah. this is the last sort of institution of the Republic, and now it's it's, yeah. it's literally sunk. And the way of doing it where it was, these Star Destroyers just sort of facelessly executing yeah. orders. Very businesslike. Yeah. The, the captain just stands there and says, okay, fire. And Tarkin yeah. says, fire when you're ready. And he fires and blows it up. And they're like, all right, sir, it's it's sunk. Like, yeah. all right, let's get out of here. Let's That's move it. on. Yeah. And, so it, and to me, and again, that was the thing with it. That's the Empire. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden, and that was the thing to me, was when, when you see the Star Destroyers open fire on Kamino, for the first time, you truly have the Empire. Yeah. You know, as we see it in conjunction with, you know, episodes, you know, four through six. Yep. And it, that's what I loved about it. I mean, that really was what I loved about the Bad Batch, is watching that happen. And I'm very curious as to where it's going to go, because we now have that. You know, we have those pieces where it's like, wait... This can really work, um, you know, in the future. This can really make sense, um, you know, as a, as a future plot line and as a place to go. The other thing I liked, and again, major spoiler alert if you haven't stopped as to what this is, who the hell is Crosshair? Um, and you find out at the end, in conjunction with the final sort of, you know, showdown with Crosshair, they say, you know, it's all your inhibitor ship because you haven't had yours removed. We've yeah. removed ours. And Crosshair says, no, I had I'd... mine removed long ago. Yep. And this is, it is my decision to stay here. And um, he stays on Camino by himself. They yes. fly away. All that's left is like one landing platform. Yes, the special, the secret landing platform yeah. that's, that's hidden, which is actually kind of a cool scene of what it is. And you find out it's because it's her private yeah. one and the, the cloners. They get a lot into the, the the politics behind Camino, quite frankly. Yeah, which which is also well done. And then uh, and then the the Kaminoan scientist who designed yeah. the cloning facility, she is and cr- the Bad Batch. Yeah, 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 she's taken by the Empire, and they just kind of vaguely say, "You're going to do 
great things for us, and it's not really explained what. Yeah. So I'm curious if she winds up being involved in the, the Death Star or in something else they're going yeah, to she's do. she's taken to a facility that looks vaguely like the facilities, quite frankly, the Mandalorian. We know her secret yeah. Imperial facilities, secret Imperial science facilities. Um, the, the one that, that struck me was the appearance in, in Mandalorian. We find the secret facility that mm-hmm. Mandalorian goes to destroy was a cloning facility. Yeah. It looks a whole lot it like does. that facility that it's we see. It's kind of built into the mountain. Yep. And, and yep. you got to wonder if it's the same facility, same reference, um, you know, as to what it is. What what I got from it, and again, the things with sort of the end and the Kevinoans, the relationship between the Bad Batch, um, what we had are those very end scenes with Crosshair was... What does it mean to be part of the Empire? One obvious thing is Crosshair is lying. That is definitely a possibility. We have mm-hmm. seen Crosshair undergoing surgery early on it in conjunction with the inhibitor ship. We don't know whether or not he has one or did have one. We know he has some further modification. We don't know what it is. Has he been programmed to lie? That he actually did take his inhibitor chip out and they put something new in him? Yeah. Um, or he's been indoctrinated in some other way? You know, that's, I think, the thing that we're going to potentially get into in the next season. But I thought the fact that Crosshair did not rejoin them was an extremely interesting thing. And yeah, he stays behind in the planet. The idea that presumably the Imperial, like a TIE fighter, is going to come rescue him. He did set off a beacon that yeah. would, you know, attract the yep. Empire. Um, actually, I think he is picked up. I think about it at the is end. Is he at the end? Yeah, okay. yeah, I think he is picked up. No, I think about it at the I end. think uh, that last episode, one of, one of the last lines of the show, is from, I think, Tech, who has maybe one of the best lines of a TV series I've seen in years. Uh, he is, um, they're, they're talking and he says something that, that kind of explains like like Crosshair's point of view. And Crosshair says, oh, I didn't, I didn't think you were an imperialist. And Tex says, just because I understand you doesn't mean I agree with you. And yeah. that is a, a nuance that I think uh, we have largely lost at this point in our overall sort of social and political dialogue <laughs> is the ability to understand each other and if you understand someone's side, people just assume that you agree with them. But it's that's not necessarily the case. And I, I like that they made a point to to say, like, Tech can understand where he's coming from and why he believes what he believes while still thinking he's wrong. Yeah, and that's and again, it's to me like the last two episodes of The Bad Batch are a wholly different show than the, yeah. the rest of it is. Because all of a sudden it's one that one it becomes a lot darker for one. It really does, yeah. And and you also get, quite frankly, the and it's it, to me it's the old, you know, sort of Star Trek things. And you go back to like, you know, seventies and eighties TV, the two partner episode at the end of the season can tell you there's gonna be another one, whereas all the rest are serialized and are standalone yeah. episodes. You kind of get that feel in conjunction with the yeah. Bad Batch. That's know. a very mission based, kind of syndicated yeah. feel. Um, a little bit like the first season of The Mandalorian, where he was just kind of going from place to place and he had sort of an isolated story in one place. And then at the end, you kind of tie some points together and, and move on. Yeah, and again, I think that was probably some of the, the where did people like it? I've got to presume there's gonna be a second ep- uh, season of The Bad Batch. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. Well. Um, so, but yeah, it's. If, if you've listened to all this and you haven't watched it, obviously go watch it, even though we've completely spoiled all the, the spoilers for you. Um, if you haven't seen it as well, if you've seen The Bad Batch and haven't seen it, I would recommend watching at least the final season of Clone Wars. It, it's... I know Disney posts up, like, the essential episodes, essential Darth Vader episodes, essential Soka yeah. episodes, stuff like that for, um, for you know, Clone Wars. I think the more I've been watching these shows and what's been interesting to me... Um, and just, you know, I, we just finished season two of Rebels um, this last week for me and my kids. I mean, my son in particular. My daughter's not as into that one. It is astounding me how much I'm enjoying the animated series um, in conjunction with Star Wars. How much, to my mind, the, the serialized format of Star Wars works so much better than the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and how much interesting stuff there is in Rebels. 
I started off really not liking Rebels. I didn't think it was something I was going to particularly care for. I mean, after I watched the first episode, I kind of resisted continuing to watch it with my son. You've got to make it through what I'd say is sort of the first half of the first season. That's kind of typical with a new series. Yeah, you know, it's a little rough. It's kind of, it, to me, it's too much of a, oh, we need another Jedi and Apprentice story. Yeah. And then it gets into, no, let's talk about, like, how Jedi temples work and how Sith temples work. You know, and suddenly as I'm, I'm looking at the previews for episode for season three, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm like, we've got the foundations of the Death Star. You know, we've got the foundations of Grand Admiral Thrawn coming into play. We've really got the, the explanation of Mustafar. And what the hell is Mustafar? And, like, how does it involve these kind of, you know, and Darth Vader? Um, I remember talking about, the people talking about, you know, the showdown between Osaka and Vader for the first time, which is, is in the climax of, of season two of, um, of Rebels, you know, and the, how tragic of a scene it is. And it's one of those where it's amazing how well that scene works, even though there's very little of it. And knowing what you already know, you know, obviously Osaka has her own show, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> They leave it as a cliffhanger what happens between the two of them at the end of season two. Now, obviously, you know Darth Vader survives because he's Darth Vader. Yeah. Uh, and you actually see him fly away. But they, they you, you get this kind of like what's going to happen, what's going on here, you know, type of things in conjunction with this. Um, there's much more here, you know, as to what it is. And they're starting to tie pieces together so that all of a sudden, like, parts of The Mandalorian are making more sense to me. Part of, parts of Rogue One are making more sense to me. Parts of Solo are making more sense to me. Yeah, this is where I think the, the serialized format, it, it gives these stories and characters room to breathe, which is something that's yeah. badly missing from a film that costs $200 million to make, and you've got two hours to make all that money back. You know, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's a big ask. So I, I really... I mentioned this in one of my prior um, Edamame episodes. I just feel like this is the future of, of sci-fi, is the serialized format. So one more thing I wanted to mention about The Bad Batch, then we'll, we'll uh, wrap this up. Um, I think we would be remiss if we did not mention the scene involving the competing bounty hunters on the on the not Tabana gas mine. Uh, one is like an old West gunslinger type, yeah. and the other one is like a ninja kind of, maybe? Kind of, yeah. yeah, I'm not sure. Um, so if, if you haven't seen it, you'll know when you get to that sequence, but it is basically uh, an abandoned... Uh, Bespin type place where there these two gun these two bounty hunters well, are fighting with each other to over that's who the has Tech Alliance if I remember rightly and that's where is Echo it? is from that's the that's the okay. issue there and again that's right I don't remember which one of those is Bad Batch and which one of those is in is in you know um, uh, Clone Wars but yeah the, the the mine that they have the bounty hunter battle in is where Tech is from that's what oh, okay. it was, was made right. into what he is all right well, anyway that that's that's you know, those two characters are only in I think that one. Well, the, the blue guy is only in that one episode, yeah. and he is, is very well characterized. Um, yeah. Very, very Western. I kind of wonder how much the popularity of Boba Fett has made them make bounty hunters a much more interesting level of character. Yeah. You know, because we see them in, in even The Mandalorian. We get the background of the bounty hunters. We see more bounty hunters. I mean, the droid's a great one. There's like a whole system yeah. of commerce involving like how they operate and like there's, there's yeah. norms and it's, it's just interesting. Yeah, and so I kind of have to wonder, you know, how much of it was the popularity of Boba Fett ended up making bounty hunters more interesting. You know, you've seen that in shows. And again, I can't remember which character it is because I haven't, I haven't watched the end seasons, but in, in Game of Thrones... There's the character who, like, rows off, um, you know, from the thing, and it's going to be to row forever. It literally gets reintroduced by, you know, George Martin because of the fact that he's popular in the TV show. Mm -hmm. And so they kind of, he kind of gives him something to do later on in the books because he was intended to never come back. I kind of have to wonder how much the popularity of Boba Fett made bounty hunters more popular. And Man, they, they played question. around with bounty hunters more as an interesting, you know, class of people we can talk about, so... 
All right, so uh, that's our that's our Star Wars content for 2021. Our next episode will be our Public Domain Day episode, which we will record after the first of the year. And then, as you if you follow us on Twitter, you know that I've got a couple more edamame episodes to spit out. Kirk may or may not have one here. I don't know. We'll we'll figure that out. But see what we talk about. Um, but yeah, so we'll have a, some some stuff to you over the holidays here, and then Kirk and I will uh, join forces again to talk about all of the amazing works from the 1920s that are now in the public domain. We're not quite to Mickey Mouse, but boy, are we getting close. Yeah, exactly. All right, that's all for today. We'll see you next time. Lauren, play us out. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Lewis Rice LLC, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. This podcast was produced and recorded in St. Louis, Missouri. 